I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. I'm not afraid. Are you? It's the opening statement question that I ask during the introduction of every Watchman Speaks episode. I believe it's a viable question to all. Why? Because I see most people, Christians and the church included, cowering in fear amid the shadows of darkness that encroaches upon our land. Listen closely and hear me. I'm speaking to the baby boomers of my generation all the way to Z-Gen. If anyone told you that life was fair or that life was going to be easy, they lied to you. Life is not easy, nor is it fair. If anyone told you that you are entitled to something for free, or love, or respect, or recognition, they lied to you. Plain and simple. Nothing in this life is free. You have to earn it. Well, maybe that's not completely accurate. Jesus died on the cross for the gift of your salvation, an inheritance. And the only thing you have to do is accept and honor the gift. It doesn't cost you anything, but it's not free. To get through this life is going to require a steel-clad, unshakable faith. To obtain that faith, one usually has to withstand a forging process. What does that mean? It means that you're going to have to pass through the fire. Once you have been subjected to the fire, then you'll be placed on an anvil and the impurities are hammered out, refining the steel. Then you go back into the fire and the whole process is repeated. Why do I say that? Because if you don't have to overcome hardships and disappointments in life, your metal, your character cannot be strengthened and you will not overcome. Listen, I've always had a fascination with cutting instruments. I own several pocket knives and hunting knives. I keep them sharpened and honed. I own hand planes, wood chisels, spoke shaves, scrapers, and saws made from tempered carbon steel. Likewise, I keep those sharpened and honed. If I didn't keep them sharpened and honed, they would be useless. Any one of the blades that I own will shave hair easily, and I'm very careful not to drop a saw on my hand or my foot. A blade does not become strong, sharp, or useful until it goes through a forging process to refine and steel and shape it into its designed purpose. Even then, it must go through a tempering process afterwards to strengthen it so that it doesn't become brittle. But it doesn't end there. Oh, no, uh-uh. The cutting edge, if unused, will rust. A rusty blade is a dangerous blade. If the blade is used, eventually it will become dull, and it must be sharpened and honed again to bring back the cutting edge. That's how faith works. If faith is not strengthened or honed by trials, by fire, shaped and refined, then every time you stub your toe, you'll lose not only your faith, 
but quite possibly any testimony that you built up until that time. When a cutting edge rusts, the rust must be removed before the cutting edge can be restored. This oftentimes requires a steel brush or some kind of abrasive or harsh chemicals. Then and only then can the initial cutting bevel and the edge be restored on sharpening stones and or a leather strop. You know what happens when the bevel has to be reestablished before sharpening and honing can be done? Steel is removed to realign the cutting edge. You know what happens when the cutting edge can be restored on sharpening stones and leather strop? Minute amounts of steel are removed to bring the instrument to a cutting edge. It's called polishing. In terms of faith, faith that has not been used or has been neglected, the rust removal process can be painful. And if the faith or the cutting edge, whether it's hand plane or chisel, begins to drag or not cut efficiently as it did to begin with, usually all that's necessary to bring back a razor's edge is a few passes over a fine grit stone or brisk stropping on a leather strop with polishing compound. In terms of faith, to reestablish a dull blade or dull faith is not as painful as having let the faith or the blade rust. A steel cutting instrument properly used and maintained is always sharp and strong. A steel cutting instrument neglected to rust requires more work to be beneficial. Faith used on a regular basis is not only sharper but grows stronger. While faith seldom used is fragile and brittle, resulting in the loss of peace and joy due to circumstances. Now because of some widespread faulty teachings in today's church and on television, Christians get to thinking that God owes them smooth sailing seas and is a fun-filled port to dock in. Let's be clear. God doesn't owe you anything. If you're a Christian, you owe God everything. Without God's grace and mercy, you'd be lost with no salvation, no inheritance, and doomed to an eternal existence in torment. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 2 reads, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the realities of things not seen. For by it, faith, the elders received commendation. Now let's unpack that for a moment. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That tells us faith has substance. Faith has substance, or what we hope for, resulting in realities of things that we've not yet seen. So faith is substance in reality, but the reality is not seen yet. So we can hope for that Mercedes, that big house, the yacht, the life of abundance with no worries, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, you can wish for them, and you can work hard enough, and long enough you may be able to acquire those things, but those material things are not what we are promised in faith. Notice in verse 2 it says, For by it, faith, the elders received commendations. Who are the elders? Did they drive sports cars, have mansions, a yacht, no concerns? Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith, and we're about to find out why. Hebrews 11 verse 4. Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Through faith, and though he is dead, he still speaks. Hmm. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he did not see death. Before he was taken up, Enoch obtained the witness that he was pleasing to God. Verse 6. Now, verse 6 is what catches most people's attention. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder for those who seek him. Ah, here we have it. We seek God and he rewards us with fancy cars, big house, a boat, golf club memberships, and life of wealth. No, that's not what it says. I'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now Noah worked on that ark for a hundred years before he completed it. And what's more, he financed the whole project. He tried to warn people, but he was ridiculed for his efforts. No Audi or Volvo here. There's a boat. But Noah had to build it and finance it himself. Verses 8 and 9. Abraham by faith struck out for a land not knowing where he was going and lived in tents. Same thing about a mansion. Abraham was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder was God. Well, that city hadn't gotten here yet. No mansion to be found here. He was looking for a city that still does not exist. Verse 11. Sarah, by faith, conceived a child even though she was 90 years old. Seen many 90-year-old women conceiving children lately? Verse 13 reads, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed they were strangers and exiles on the earth, Ever remember that old hymn where the lyrics read, This world is not my home. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's what they're talking about. Let's look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. That sounds like life on Easy Street. Chapter 11 continues mentioning the faith of Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Verses 32 through 35 tell the real story about faith. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith, listen to this, conquered kingdoms, obtained promises or covenants, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, made mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Yeah, that sounds like utopia to me. Yeah, that sounds like a life of luxury. That sounds to me like faith is a powerful thing. But it certainly doesn't sound like any kind of a utopia either. It doesn't sound like every day was filled with rose petals and perfume. It sounds to me as if faith is what carried them through battles in uncertain times. And, I might add, it sounds to me as they faced those battles in uncertain times without fear. It doesn't sound to me as if faith has anything to do with living on Easy Street every day for however long we are here to walk on this earth. Oh, you say, but... Hmm. But verse 6 says God is rewarder of those who seek him. No, that's not what it says. Not in its entirety. My first question to you would be is, what are you seeking him for? Wealth? Live on easy street? 
a lifelong vacation in paradise here on earth? Let's look at verse 6 more closely. And without faith it is impossible to please him. Without the strongest of faith to carry one through battles and uncertain times without fear is impossible to please God. Let's progress a little further. For he who comes to God must believe that he, God, is God. The problem here is that most think that the storms, life, and circumstances they are facing are bigger than God or bigger than God can handle. So they attempt to fix things themselves, relying on their own self-dependence instead of depending on God to fix things. And he goes on to say, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay? Here is where the steel gets sharpened. The rust gets removed. Stop right here, right now, and define rewards for yourself. Now, having done that, do you think that your definition of rewards meets on par with God's definition. Look again at verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Don't sound to me like they were looking for anything here on earth. Did you catch that? They died in faith without receiving promises. But they saw the promises, and they welcomed them. And faith they died, confessing that they were strangers and exiles on earth. They realized that this earth was not going to be their eternal home. That life on this earth was not necessarily always and forever going to be easy. They knew that they had something better to look forward to than anything this earth or this life could offer. And they died holding on to those promises. They weren't seeking a land. The land was a shadow of what was to come. What was to come was a savior, salvation, and an inheritance in a kingdom. Psalm 37 verse 4 reads, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what are the desires of your heart? Most people want to put the desires of their heart ahead of delighting themselves in the Lord. If the desires of your heart are life in paradise on this earth, in this life, then you're aiming too low. At first it says, delight yourself in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen to me. Jesus is enough. His sacrifice for me is enough. God's grace in offering his son for my benefit is enough. An inheritance in his kingdom to sit on the throne with him is enough. Therein, I find delight in the Lord. The desire of my heart is to surrender all in faith and obey his word. No matter how many times some preacher on television or author of a book tells you that God exists to make you wealthy and give you a life on easy street, it just ain't so. Now, can God do that? Yes, I suppose he can. But chances are you wouldn't steward it properly. Everyone loves to quote, you have not for you ask not. Yep, everybody loves that verse. Now, can you tell me where that verse is found in Scripture? Well, it comes from the book of James in chapter 4. But let's look at the whole passage. Chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Hmm. I bet that busts a lot of bubbles. Let me tell you this. God has made some promises. He made a lot of promises. The Old Testament and New Testament. Those promises, to some extent, are conditional. If you don't know what those promises are, the devil can steal them from you. Look closely. Many times. God said, if you do these things, then I will do these things. Those promises, those covenants, are apart from salvation and they run throughout the Bible. Just to clear the air and pop any other unrighteous bubbles that still may be floating around, I direct you to James 5, verse 5. For you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. That'd be James talking to the rich folks who followed after the desires of their fleshly hearts. What does all this mean? What's the takeaway? Well, partly it's this. Don't live in fear. Those mentioned in Hebrews 11 faced very real battles in very real circumstances that were dire, but they weren't afraid. Their faith carried them through the battles and the storms that they faced. Their faith was sharpened and honed on a daily basis in their struggles for survival. They were very real people who faced very real challenges. There was no air conditioning or heat. There were no flush toilets. There were no neighborhoods filled with mansions. There were palatial residences for the kings. However, the kings were often faced with hard decisions as war was an often a concern. Losing a war to a neighboring kingdom often meant death for the king and his entire family. So kingship was not necessarily a walk in the park either. In ancient literature and extra-biblical texts, the kings would sometimes yearn for war. As the reality of war and subsequent slavery, if the war was lost, often raised a faith in God among the people. It was this faith oftentimes that the king depended on to overcome his hardships. But the modern western church has lost her backbone. The church is afraid to speak out against evil movements or against a darkness that is looming. The church by and large seeks to stay out of the limelight and avoid social criticism. It already suffers from criticism from political front as well as movements within other organizations. The church cowers in fear that financial obligations cannot be met or that the church will be looked upon unfavorably locally. Did God say make the church an all-inclusive social club? No. He gave instructions, church discipline. He gave instructions on what should and should not be tolerated. He gave us a roadmap for behavior and an example of how we should live. Yet most Christians live in fear, claiming faith, but showing little evidence of that faith. Now, in case you're thinking I don't know what I'm talking about, I assure you I do. It took me some time to dig it out of God's Word, but I learned, oh, that's where I made that mistake that cost me so much. I make certain I don't make that mistake again. See, I've lost fortunes. I've fought poverty. Death has claimed nearly all my relatives, including a daughter and a grandchild. I had seven knee surgeries including a total knee replacement. 
Got a plate and four metal screws in my neck where a disc collapsed. I passed a blood clot and my heart caught it, resulting in triple bypass surgery. Now, I could continue, but I don't want to bore you or have you think that I'm whining or bragging. No, I'm merely stating facts. I have faced some dark and foreboding storms, some of which lasted years, not just weeks or months, but years. I've learned to sharpen faith because there were times I simply could not stand the beating that I was taking, and I had to cry out to God to rescue me. And he always has. But it was not always an immediate response. Hear me, Gen X, Gen Z. I have fought battles that most of you don't even know exist yet, and I've walked away from them all. Many times, though, I've walked away with a pretty severe limp. I've been through all that and more, and you know what? I'm still standing. Great battles have been fought on the physical realm and on the spiritual front. I have the scars to prove it. But I fought enough battles and faced enough storms that I'm not afraid anymore. The times that we live in are perhaps the darkest times that I can recall in my life. However, history tells me that there have been darker days, but I'm not afraid. Are you? Faith is like that blade on a hand plane or on a knife or a chisel. When I'm working through a piece of tough white oak or hard maple and it stops cutting cleanly, I pull out the stones and the strop and I reestablish that cutting edge. When I see the storm approaching, I hit my knees and give it to God. He sharpens my faith. Do you have the unshakable faith that will be necessary when the storm comes barreling into your harbor? Do you? I'm just asking. But before I close, I'd like to share a tidbit more on Scripture. When Jesus and the disciples were in a boat tossed by a storm, the disciples became fearful and woke Jesus from sleeping in the stern of the boat and claimed that they were about to perish. Mark chapter 4, verses 39 through 41 read, And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, that storm was of this world. And Jesus has overcome the things of this world, including the storms that we face. I oftentimes wonder, when he said, hush, be still, if he was only talking to the wind and the sea, or if he was in some way including the disciples. I don't have any precedent to make that as a statement. I just have to wonder. But I'm certain of this. He likened their fear of the storm to a lack of faith. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, Come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. 
through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.